uncoming through stained glass windows. And thank you for your goodness and all the blessings um, that you have given to us in all our lives for your provision. Uh, and most of all, um, for your truth and that you chose us. Uh, pray that you'll just really help guide Gordy today as he shares um, as he shares your truth with us. In your name, amen. amen. Thanks, Wade. Well, good morning. If you're just joining us for the first time this morning, we are, as you heard earlier, we've been going through a series entitled Encounter Jesus, Live the Story. It's based on a document that we have published on our National Vineyard website, which is, we call it fusion because it's a fusion of our, our vision, our mission, and our statement of faith, all in the language of story. And... Uh, I want to conclude today by talking about practices for staying in alignment with the right story. I was going to call it staying in alignment with the story, but as I began to prepare this week, I realized that there are a lot of stories out there. And the temptation is for us often to take on a story that is not ours and uh, Miles and Karen Chupa and, and Izzy and, and uh, Tilly were very much a family, a part of our church for almost as long as we, Kathleen and I were here. In fact, I think Miles was here before us. And uh, it was very painful to say goodbye to them this summer as they, we blessed them. We blessed them uh, to go to Chilliwack. And uh, so they're not too far away, so we get to still see them sometime. But one of the things I really missed, I really loved about their being here, is they felt that their ministry was my mental health. And so they would send me weekly jokes uh, to, uh, just for the pastor, and, and it, it, it kind of, you know, it was my replacement for Prozac. And... Uh, I was so delighted to receive in my inbox that even though they've moved to Chilliwack, they have not given up on this, this ministry. So I want to share the latest story from Miles and Karen. And this has to do with a traffic occurrence. The light had turned yellow just in front of him, and the man did the right thing. He stopped at the crosswalk, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. The tailgating woman was furious and honked her horn, screaming in frustration as she missed her chance to get through the intersection, dropping her cell phone and her makeup. <laughs> as she was still in mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered her to exit her car with her hands up. He, t he took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. <laughs> After a couple of hours, the policeman approached the cell, opened the door, and she was escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. The policeman said, I'm very sorry for this mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, flipping off the guy in front of you and cussing a blue streak at him. And then I noticed your What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker, the Choose Life license plate holder, the Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker, 
and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. So naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car. So I tell that story because we all are living a story, but the question is, are we living the right story? Are we living the story that we love to talk about? Are we living the story that we tell? And I, our text today is from 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul describes the story of Israel, how that they, they had been given a story by God, but often they got off the story that they were, they were given by God. And it got them in trouble, because you and I have been designed for a story that uh, is redemptive and healing and, and life-giving. But often we find ourselves choosing death. And Paul wrote, wrote, uh, wrote to the Corinthians these words, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, speaking of Israel, and it's interesting, by the way, that he called, he's speaking to primarily Gentiles, goyim, non-Jewish people. But he, he refers to the Jewish ancestors as these Gentiles' ancestors now. In other words, you become part of a story. There's continuity here. Even though you're Gentiles, through Jesus, you become part of this story. So our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. Verse 2. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. In the Hebrew tradition, they had this uh, uh, legend or tradition that the rock that the water came out of when Moses struck the rock actually followed them all over. So that's what he's referring to. He says, well, that rock was Christ. Christ was with you. Verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did, and were, were killed by a destroying angel. Verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So Paul, he doesn't pull any punches that there are severe temptations that come to us to get us off our story, to get us out of the story that we were created for. So the question I want to address today is what story are you living? We've been going through a teaching series, Encounter Jesus, Live the Story, as I said, which is based on our fusion of vision, mission, and faith. And we've been arguing that our practices as a community and our statement of faith 
and our beliefs and mission are based on our story. It's founded in our story that what we do should be aligned with who we are. But there's actually a reverse uh, factor too, that our practices can actually reinforce our story. Our practices can actually help us stay aligned with the story. So yes, the story influences what we do, what we've been doing this morning, how we live throughout the week, but there's an aspect of what we do today that keeps us in the right story and as what we do through the week. So as we say in our fusion document, this is the first paragraph, compelled and energized by the love given to us by God's Spirit, we will take our place in His story. I love the way His story lines up with history. It's almost the same word. History is His story. In some ways, history looks random and crazy and, and arbitrary and full of anarchy. But it's like a tapestry that you look out from underneath. But if you look on the other side, you realize that God has been at work. There's been a thread. We will take our place in his story to transform the world by proclaiming through word and deed the good news of the reign of God. But there are pressures that keep knocking us out of alignment. I talked about, about a year ago about the word alignment related to cars, that cars, when they get out of alignment, what happens is the tires begin to wear because they're, 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 they're not in a perpendicular order. And our lives can get knocked out of alignment. And there's pressures that I will just summarize as evil that get us into the wrong story. And so I want to look at three sources of the evil that knock us off the rails, that derail us, that get us out of alignment. And then I want to talk about practices that God has given to us to keep in the story. Pressures that to take on the wrong story um, are evil in the, in, in the following forms. The first I would just summarize as personal evil. This is what the Bible calls our sin nature. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line between good and evil is not between East and West. Now, this was in the Cold War, so it doesn't really... Maybe today we would say the line between good and evil is not between the Middle Eastern radicals and the rest of us. You know, whatever, whatever your us and them is, that's not where the line between good and evil is. He said the line between good and evil runs where? Right down the middle of every human heart. Right? And I would... Uh, the Bible uh, in the older versions used to call this the flesh or our sin nature, that part of us that can get it wrong pretty fast. Have you noticed? You know, we, we all like to think we're pretty good people, but what is it about us that, that so over and over again hurts the, pers- the people that we love the most? What is that about us, right? There's the, this, this blindness and this lack of self-awareness that that the Bible calls for to be aware of. So what is this in nature? Is it our bodies? Well, we know our bodies are good. Is it our emotions? Well, we know our emotions are good. But we know both our emotions and bodies can get us out of whack. What's that about? What happens there? How come we end up in addictions and addictive behavior and codependent behavior and, and dysfunctional family units or relationals, relationships? And, and, and a bad relationship with money and creation and the environment. What is it about our humanity that we keep screwing up this beautiful earth? 
that God has given us. Even though we've, you know, we're doubling our knowledge every two years now. We're smart in one way, but we're lacking a certain kind of intelligence, aren't we? So what is that? Well, I would say the first is the element of desire. Now, desire itself is not bad. Desire is good. In fact, God gave us desire. And he's given us legitimate needs for which we desire. Needs for physical needs. Needs for companionship, for love, emotional needs. And the Bible tells us that God alone is not enough to meet these needs. That's kind of scary for super spiritual people. How many have ever heard people say, oh, God is all I need. He's all I need. But actually, the Bible says after he, he created humanity and made, made everything, and the world was perfect and there was no sin, that God looked at Adam and said, it's still not good that he be alone. So, in other words, God was not enough. God created us with legitimate needs that need to be met. But the danger is trying to fulfill these needs independently of God. To do it outside of his boundaries and, and his loving care. This was the temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness. I mean, he'd fasted for 40 days and it says he was hungry. Now, I've never fasted 40 days, at least not a total fast like he did. I did a, a liquid fast one time for that long. Let me tell you, after about 40 days, you, you're not just hungry. It's, there, it's like this, you know, just this craving, this, this literally tangible longing and craving just for, for something to eat. So he had a physical need, and so the, uh, the devil came up to him and, and offered, offered him an opportunity to have that need met. And the temptation was to have, have his needs met outside of God's provision, outside of God's timing, and God's way. And so this, this is where we need God in our lives to uh, sometimes take us through Advent. Advent, what is Advent? What is this season of Advent about? It's about waiting, isn't it? It's about longing. It's about desire that is not yet fulfilled. And sometimes life is that. Sometimes it's waiting. And that waiting involves trusting. And sometimes you feel hungry. Sometimes you feel thirsty. Sometimes you feel like the children of Israel in the desert. God isn't coming through. We're going to have to take things into our own, our own hands. And the first step is to grumble. Right? <laughs> All right, so that's the first evil. The second evil is what I call systemic evil. Everybody say systemic. Systemic, systemic is where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. I have, I, have a type, I have a typo in my notes. It says, systemic evil is where the whole is greater than the sum of the hearts. I wonder if that was prophetic. I don't know. But it's, what's, it's what happens when we create a, a, a negative synergy. Do you remember a couple weeks ago I talked about the draft horse? How that when a draft horse, they're very powerful horses, and one draft horse can, can pull 2,000 pounds of weight. How, many, how much could, a, could two draft horses pull? I mean, you'd think logically that two would pull 4,000 pounds, right? How many could two pull? 20,000 pounds. So the synergy between them uh, 
cause the, the whole to be greater than the sum of the parts. And so it's true in our relationships. It's true as a community. Is that as we learn to synergize, I love that word, and we do it with God, and we do it with one another. Jesus himself said, I'm, I'm in synergy with the Father. I do nothing but what I see the Father doing. And it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. But what happens is that evil also creates a negative synergy. Have you noticed that? There's a negative power where the whole of evil is greater than the sum of the parts. And it, and, there, and it creates this system that John described as the world system uh, defined by a, um, not a wholesome, trusting longing, but, but by lust. Uh, I think John described it as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And it's defined by the sources advertised in line. I want that. Right? You're pretty quiet. <laughs> Do you remember in the Vancouver riot about four years ago? I remember I watched this last game of the Stanley Cup over here at the pub. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a bummer. The Canucks had lost. But I walked out and I saw this cloud of smoke over the downtown. And it was, it was a horrible day, horrible day in the life of our city. But I remember people later talking about it, who got caught up in it. And I heard so many people say, I did actions that I normally would never do. I was caught up into something that was way bigger than myself. Now, I'm not saying that we aren't responsible for our individual actions, but there was something unleashed. That was just a small example of something, and in, in evil times in world history, we've seen that, haven't we? With the Holocaust, with, um, you know, Pol Pot in Cambodia. Uh, these horrible, horrible things that have happened. And we go, how could human beings ever do that to each other? Well, that's called a systemic evil. Well, there is systemic evil around us all the time. It's, it, it perpetrates injustice. It perpetrates harm of the environment. It perpetrates the love of money and greed at the expense of human lives, the expense of human, uh, the, 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 at, the, at the cost of humanity. And there's a, there's a, it, we're swimming in an ocean of independence, just a, a personal autonomy and, and doing our own thing. So it's important to be aware of that systemic evil. And, and then finally, there's cosmic evil. Um, cosmic evil is where it, there's these unseen powers that the Bible tells us. So we've got human personal evil, we've got systemic evil, but in addition to that, there's, there is a real devil, there are real powers of darkness that hate humanity. We don't quite know where they all came from. Scripture seems to tell us that Satan was already in existence before humanity came. Scripture seems to indicate that he he, he was once a beautiful, powerful angel next to God. Some people speculate that maybe God's plan to create sons and daughters that would be next to him and in the throne with him cre uh, created a jealousy in Satan where he, he, he rebelled against that plan and now is out to destroy us because he knows. You know, it's just like somebody knows the way that they can get to my heart is to get to my kids, to get to my grandkids, right? That, that breaks my heart more than any direct assault on me. And I think Satan knows that. He goes after God. He goes after the image of God to destroy and deface the image of God. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a master vandal. 
He loves to vandalize and deface the image of God that's in you and I. So the last ally is this cosmic evil. John wrote, these are incredible. I mean, John's kind of this apostle of love, a gentle father. But he writes these words in 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Wow. Paul wrote this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a malevolent evil that has tailor-made plans to defeat you, to get you into the wrong story. I always joke with our homestay students from Korea about Itaewon. It was the only time in my life I was in Seoul, Korea, and I went to this shopping distance uh, district called Itaewon, and all the foreigners go to this area in Seoul, and, and they... I, I got my, my only ever tailor-made suit. I got, I got a, a traditional Korean dress for Kathleen, and each of my kids got a little child size. They were, they were pretty young at that time. And, and uh, I remember they measured me up. They, just, they, they got my measurements, and I got, took back proudly my three-piece my three suit uh, that I wore proudly in Calgary for a number of years and uh, wore it out. But, but this word tailor-made plans is exactly what Paul is describing here. It's, it's like the enemy sizes you up and he knows exactly what your strengths and your weaknesses are and he begins to weave a web. But God has promised us provision for addressing these assignments of the enemy that come to get us to defeat us. So in Revelation 12, nice little uh, Christmas peaceful message here. Revelation 12, verse 7 says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, which is a symbol of her Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back. So there's angels fighting angels. So we, we, we get the sense that there are, there are good angels that Jesus said are assigned to each one of us. Each one of you has angels assigned to your life to, to guide you, to protect you. And I've told some of you, even this week, I've told you angelic encounters. They've sometimes appeared to me in the form of homeless people. And uh, they, they, they are assigned they are by God. And Jesus said, they always behold the face of your Father in heaven. But then there's demonic angels that are assigned to your case as well to defeat you, right? So there's this war going on. Verse 8, but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser, by the way, one of the words for devil is accuser or adversary. The one who's against you. All right. See, God's for you. And so Satan, or when, God, when, when Scripture uses that word, it's, it's what's opposed to your life, to you finishing well, to you being well, to your well-being, to the good and the beautiful that God created you for. Right? There's an enemy to that. We're in a fight. We're not fighting each other. We're not fighting the Muslims. We're not fighting, you know, th that's what happens is we get, we get decoyed into what the real enemy is. But we're in this battle to finish well, to, to find our story 
Now have come salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Verse 11. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. We're going to talk about that phrase in a minute. And by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. So the foundational issue, as we battle evil in its various forms, cosmic, personal, uh, systemic evil, is amnesia. The perpetual problem of the people of God through history is they get out of their story when they forget the story they're in. They forget what God has done. Uh, over and over in the Psalms, it describes how Israel would do well until they forgot what God had done. They'd forgotten the story. And um, right now, I'm, as many of you know, I'm, I'm taking introductory Korean. My uh, Korean students are my teachers in that scenario. And I've learned the Hangul uh, alphabet, uh, the, the nouns, and instead of the uh, consonants, they call them initials. And uh, I'm practicing on Esther, and, and uh, she, she gives approval as, as, as warranted. And um, what I've noticed is, is that if I don't re do repetition every day, I forget it. I have to keep repeating that alphabet. I have to keep repeating the pronunciation. One of the challenges is a lot of Korean is... is it, 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 for example, what would be a G for us is actually somewhere between a G and a K. It's kind of G, like that. So a lot of their sounds are not precisely the same as the English consonants and vowels. And so a lot of it is I actually have to look at a Korean talking. I have to look at where they put their tongue, what they do with their mouth. Because if, if, if I don't, I don't get it. So this repetition and, and watchfulness and paying attention and, and, and repeating over and over and over again is so important. And I'm learning that there's nuances in this language. When we say you, I mean you. It doesn't matter whether you're my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister or my son or my daughter. It's you. But they have all of these nuances and pronouns and different uh, respect. They're, they're, they're a culture of honor. And in that culture of honor, it, it, it has an amazing impact on the language. And so practice and repetition have been so, so important in... Uh, addressing my amnesia towards Korean. <laughs> um, and so we say in our fusion document these words, if you can go to the next, practices for staining memory from fusion. The story of Jesus shapes the story of our communities. Let's all read that sentence together. The story of Jesus shapes the stories of our communities. That's so important. We are shaped by the story of Jesus. You see, every day when I read the Bible, I make sure, like I have a Bible reading plan right now, where I make sure that every day I read what's called a pericope. Pericope is a fancy word for a self-contained story in the Gospels. So it might be the turning of the water to the wine. It might be the healing of the leper. It might be the prodigal son. It might be his death on the cross, it, but it's a pericope. And usually your NIV Bible and other Bibles are actually organized now in the form of pericopes with 
titles and, and, and paragraphs. But I do read the Old Testament. I continue to read the Old Testament. I continue to read the epistles, which are the, letters, the later letters of the New Testament, and the Psalms and the wisdom literature and the prophets. But I make sure that I always read something from the gospel every day because his story is what shapes the story. He is the fulfillment of that story. And the church has often made mistakes in getting away from that story. When we get away from the story of Jesus, we become Pharisees. We become legalistic. We become weird in many different ways. And, 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 and when I say weird, I mean we get out of alignment with the story. So I would encourage you, I'm really going to encourage you as we move into 2015, that we be a church that is steeped in the story, but make sure the story of Jesus is always at the center of that. And it's amazing to me how many times I've read a story from the Gospels and then I'll go to the, New, the Old Testament or the epistles and I'll read something and, and it lines up in a weird way sometimes where Jesus will, will do something that breaks the Mosaic law. He'll do something like touch the woman who had the issue of blood or the leper you know, or hang out with sinners which was ceremonially unclean or Gentiles. And then in, I'll read something in the Old Testament where it says, don't do that. <laughs> and it feels like a paradox. It feels like a contradiction. And this is the Jesus who said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. What's going on there? Well, those kind of tensions are so important. And what happens is when people don't live in those tensions, you get in trouble. When you read the Old Testament and, and you you don't understand that sometimes God was accommodating the fallenness of a culture and bringing people along towards the time when, when Christ would come. So keep Jesus at the center. His story came to us in the context of Israel's story as told in the Old Testament and proclaimed by the writers of the New Testament as fulfillment of Israel's story. So you know the writings of Paul, the writings of Acts, uh, the writings of the letters, and even the Gospels themselves. Jesus didn't write the Gospel. Who wrote the Gospels? They were his followers. They wrote about Jesus' life, what he did, put it in writing. And, but there's interpretation going on with that. It's never interpretation-free. So they're interpreting what Jesus did in light of Israel's story. They're saying, hey, it's not a new beginning. It's not a new start. We're not starting all over. It's not like God went, oh, man, I blew it with Israel. Throw him out. Don't forget, Jesus was the ultimate Israeli. He was the ultimate Jew. Okay? But he was the fulfillment of everything that the Israelis longed for, as we sang in O Come Emmanuel today in that song, right? So these texts, we recognize the authority of these texts above all other texts as divinely given to shape us. We also honor their authority by constantly giving place for them in our communities to inform us of the message, the character, and the mission of Jesus. And so there is something about paying attention to the instruments, about practice, spiritual practices, and Scripture is the center of those, those spiritual practices, whether it's prayer, whether it's public worship, whether it's home groups, that we put the Bible at the center of it. But we need to understand the nature of the Bible. What, what is the, what, how does it have authority? How does God exercise authority, his authority, through Scripture? 
Sometimes people make an idol of the Bible, where they actually exalt the Bible above God himself. That's what the scribes did. That's what the Pharisees did. Jesus was a false prophet. He was in heresy, right? So how does God exercise his authority through Scripture? Well, we need to recognize that there is a power in Scripture. There is an anchor that Scripture gives. I kind of think about uh, the, the air, air, airplane pilots when they're being uh, trained, that part of their training is that they have to fly without vis uh, visibility. So often a blanket or whatever is put over th the window of their plane while they're flying, and they have to focus on the instruments. And, and when you're in a situation like that, it's very easy for up to feel down and down to feel up, and to go with your, what you feel rather than the instrument. And often pilots are tempted to go off that and go with their feelings, and they crash, right? And so it's so important that in this element of staying aligned with the story, that if we just go with what we feel, we'll crash. That's what gets us out of the story. So, related to Scripture, what are some practices for sustaining our memory? Number one, Scripture shapes us. Scripture is a primary source of the story we are in. It's not a rule book. If you treat it as a rule book, you get in trouble. It's not a formula book. Otherwise, you'll start using it to justify slavery, misogyny, and other injustices. But it's our story. It's the story. The way Eugene Peterson describes Scripture is what God said to Ezekiel. Eat this book. Let this, let, don't use it as a rule book, as a formula, as something to to hit people over the head with, but use it as something that you ingest to become your story. It's your life. You become part of the story. The story becomes part of you. And we commit to that as a congregation. To change the analogy, N.T. Wright describes the Bible as, as the first four uh, parts of a, of a five-act play. And, he, and he, in, in, in helping us understand the role of Scripture, it's, it's like there is... It's like a Shakespearean play that got found in the archive somewhere. And some people want to uh, put the play on as actors, but they're missing the fifth act. And so they, they, they want to finish the play, but the, the only way they can do act five is they have to really get steeped in verse in, in acts one, two, three, and four. And N.T. Wright says that's what, that's, that's what we're in. We're in, we're in a five-act play. Act one was creation. Act 2 was the fall. Act 3 was Israel. Act 4 was the coming of Jesus in the New Testament. And now the church age is Act 5, where we steep ourselves in the story. We become versed in the story. That story becomes part of us, but now it's time to improvise. It's time to live out that story. But do it in a way that's... There's two dangers to watch out for. Don't go back to Act 4. Don't go back to Act 3. We're not in Act 4 or 3. We're in Act 5 now. But don't be unfaithful to Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4. So there's, there's a consistency and an alignment. And so that's why we have readings every Sunday. That's why we, we encourage home groups and encourage Bible reading plans is to steep ourselves in that story so that we can live faithfully out of the spirit of that story. So how do we give scriptures our place uh, to shape us? First of all, I believe it's by coming together. 
Did you know up until about the invention of the printing press, the only way people could, could, could read scripture was they had to come together once a week to hear it publicly read. It was the only way they could read scripture. It was so expensive to create a manuscript. It was, it was the equivalent of, a, of, of uh, the, the price of a Lamborghini. I mean, it was, it, nobody could really afford it in the village. And so the only way that people could, could access scripture was to come together and they would have it read on Sundays. But not only was it read, it was what when they came together? Read and interpreted, right? There was a, there was a, there was an, a corporate communal interpretation. Now I know that through the Latin and some of those things that happened in the Middle Ages, the scripture was denied to the masses for a while. And it was good that the printing press was invented because then scripture became available in the vernacular to the people. But the problem was, as one Catholic uh, scholar said, everybody became their own pope. <laughs> Did you know that there's a new denomination formed in, in the world? There are five new denominations formed every week. Something like, uh, there's something like 17,000 Protestant denominations. And you know why? Because we're all our own pope. I don't like what you say. You don't like what I say. You're going to hell. I'm going to heaven. So go to hell. <laughs> right? Isn't that, isn't that what's happening? It's a spirit of independence. It, it, the church just, just swims in that same ocean. And part of being mature is actually coming to same scriptures where you disagree on something, but you both say Jesus is Lord... And you wrestle through that together. And even though you may not be able to go where that sister or brother is going, that you can still say there are things that you are saying, there's perspective that you have that I can learn from, even if we differ on some of our conclusions. And I think that's a really important uh, part of seeing Jesus' prayer answered, that we be one as he and the Father are one. I think this, is, this has been one of the, the biggest barriers to that is how we approach Scripture. And so it's important to come together. The writer of Hebrews said, um, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's interesting to me that, that the contrast to, to not coming together is encouragement. So you have a choice. Don't come together or be encouraged. And when we come together, we come together around Scripture. You noticed it, didn't you, today? We open up with Scripture. We sing Scripture. We had another Scripture. We light a candle and more Scripture. And then the pastor got up and read some Scripture. Now he's talking about Scripture. All right? So you, you see what I'm saying? Th these are practices that we all walk in, oh, yeah, you know, Sunday morning, where's my coffee? You know, we, 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 we're sometimes clued out. I want you to understand what we're doing. We are in the act of anti-amnesia. We are in the act of remembering. How's my English, huh? Good. How's my Korean? How's my Korean, oh, my name? Very good. Oh, thank you. Come <laughs> Samnada. All right. So, um, so the printing press. Don't forget that. Don't forget the impact that the invention of the printing press has had on how we approach scripture. I believe that scripture is best read and interpreted communally. It's where we get perspective. I'm not saying I don't believe in personal Bible reading plans. I do that all the time. Wade's got some good ideas. If you're more of an audio person, 
and you want to go through the Bible just with the you know, audio, there's all kinds of great programs out there. However you best read, however you best ingest, do that. I encourage it. But it's not at the expense of community. It doesn't take the place of coming together. And we do this multi-generationally. We do this with our kids. Our kids, I, I, I was so blessed a couple weeks ago with, with Hyunjin. I went down and did a primary class. And I was so Im- impressed with how rich that lesson was with Scripture. They don't dumb it down for our kids. And our kids get it. They're getting it. They're getting the story. So there's two contexts. One is celebration. We come together. We sing the word. We talk about the word. We encourage one another. We wish each other the peace of Christ. We bless each other. We pray for each other. It's all founded on Scripture. And then in small groups, someone likened the church to the two wings of a bird. And there's two structures that are needed. One is gathering together in celebrations and then in small groups. And the reason why small groups are so important to, to digest Scripture is because you're known. You need to be in a place where you're known. This isn't a large crowd, but it's still very easy to walk in and out and not be known. So who can you confess your sins to? Who can you confess your temptations to? Who can pray with you about struggles that you're facing? And where Scripture is kind of just smacking you upside the head, who can walk with you through that? And say, hey, sister, brother. I love that poem I used to quote to our youth. It's a bit male-centered, so I'll, I'll, I'll fix it in a minute. But it goes like this. I sought my God, but God I could not see. I sought myself, but self eluded me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. So you can change it to my sister, whatever. But you understand what I'm saying, is we need that connection in small groups where we're known. And I love, I, I love what all our small groups are doing but I want to give special kudos to those of you that take the scriptures and wrestle with them, that take the questions. That's why we have these questions in your bulletins, is for you to wrestle through what you've heard on Sunday um, because I don't think it's really going to be ingested. You're, you're going to forget most of what you hear today, and I, I have no illusions about that. I'm not offended. I'm not mad. I'm not quitting. I'm not going on strike. I'm not <laughs> getting a new job. But I'm just saying I understand human nature is that we don't remember in this context very much. But when you start talking about it, when you start interacting and dialoguing and engaging and asking questions. And then finally, the use of the calendar. Sorry, not finally. Some of you say, wish it was finally. The use of the calendar. You'll notice that we use the calendar to go through scripture, to go through the story. Whose idea was that, by the way? To use the calendar to remember the story. Do you remember? Whose idea was that? God? <laughs> Not a trick question. God. Remember when, when um, remember after Prince of Egypt, when they'd come out of, Israel, out, of, out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, and after the Egyptians had been drowned and, and they were ready to go on, God said to them, on the first day of the month, you are to take a lamb, put a, the lamb in the house, and let the lamb be with you for 10 days. And then after 10 days... Um, I, I can't quite remember the sequence, but they were, they were to celebrate the Passover. Remember, they would have that Passover meal. And when your children ask you, Daddy, why are we doing this? You say, well, I'm glad you asked, son. <laughs> right? And then you tell them the story of the Passover. And they were to do that every year. Right? 
So this whole idea of Advent, of Christmas, of Easter, that all comes from that tradition of using the calendar. And it's a great discipleship tool, both for yourself, for your kids, for your friends, your family, your community, your housemates. Use the calendar. Wonderful resources. And finally, water baptism in the Lord's Supper. These practices remind us of who we are. There are markers for the journey. If you have not been baptized in water, I'll do it by the font, I'll do it in Trout Lake. Whatever, <laughs> whatever you prefer, we'll do it. I mean, I, I love the fact that a lot of churches are offering the font, the sprinkling, the dunking, the soaking, the spot removing, the galvanizing. I mean, anything will work. The key is your heart. Is Do you want to join the story? Right? Water baptism is a key marker because the enemy will come to you and say, you're not in the story. Do you know, how you, do you know what, what you thought? Do you, know, do you know what you did? Do you know what, you know, he'll, he'll try to tell you. See, what's your basis for being in the story? Is it your behavior? No. The foundation is what he did for you. Right? That's the foundation. What, that's where the blood of the lamb comes in. Because there was two kinds of people when the death angel passed over Israel in the story of the prince of Egypt, right? Two people. Only two kinds. It wasn't good people and bad people. It wasn't people who had good spiritual disciplines and people who had bad spiritual disciplines. It was people who had put the blood on the door of their house and those who hadn't. And there's only two kinds of people. People who trust in that blood as their basis for their relationship with God, the blood of Jesus and His forgiveness and mercy. Or they trust in their own good works and their own capacities. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things in themselves, but they are not our basis for acceptance with God. And water baptism reminds us that by being baptized in water with Christ is that we enter his story. And we're now dependent on his performance. You know, my favorite button on the computer these days is that little button that says undo. How many, how many found? How many really like that? And I have programs where you can go undo, 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 undo. Isn't that a beautiful button? How many feel like you need that in your life? That's just, just life, right? Don't, don't, we, don't you just wish there's so many things you could do over again? That's the gospel. The blood of Jesus gives us a clean slate, gives us a new start, a new beginning. Is that good news or what? And then the other practice is the practice of the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, if I could use a marriage analogy... Water baptism is like the marriage vows. The Lord's Supper is like renewing that covenant through making love as a couple. And Jesus used the language of intimacy when he talked about eating his blood, uh, the, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. The, that was the language of incredible intimacy. And so some churches actually don't allow you to even have communion until you've been water baptized because of that. And we're not so anal about that, but I do encourage, if you are taking uh, communion, that you do get baptized in water. Because I think the principle of it is there. So you may feel like you've wrecked your story. Maybe you've fallen down, failed. What's the, the beautiful thing about the gospel is the gospel is full of people who failed. It's full of people who got it wrong, who needed the undo button. Right? Look at Peter. Jeez, I, I just thought of Peter this morning. You know, he, he was tempted to step out of his story. And Jesus said to Peter, you're going you're, you're to step out of your story. You're going to fall. You're going to deny me. You know what I've learned to say when Jesus says that to me? 
you're going to fall. You're going to fail. I go, you're right. You're right. Without your grace and your mercy, I'm done. I, sp I pray that prayer every day. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the older I get, the more sinful I realize I am and how dependent I am every moment on his grace. And that's what the Lord's Supper does, is it reminds us of our need for him and our basis for acceptance in the Beloved. So from the fusion document, we say we reinforce this. What do we reinforce? What are we reinforcing? The story, right? By observing the ongoing communal practices of water baptism and communion that Jesus ordained, his story continues through our lives as we seek to live the way of Jesus. So in conclusion, God has ordained corporate spiritual practices that when lived out from our hearts, counter our tendency towards spiritual amnesia. And keep us aligned with our story. So as you reflect in your small groups, which some of you won't start till 2015 now. But hey, over Christmas dinner, burp, you can reflect. Personal, can you think of times that spiritual amnesia derailed you from your story? You know, the times I've screwed up, I realized I forgot who I was. What happened? The, the biggest danger with amnesia is you forget who you are. And when you don't know who you are, you act out of character with who you are. Right? What are some next steps for you in practice? So what is maybe the Holy Spirit challenging you towards? Is it, is it scripture? Is it maybe more faithful attendance? Maybe it's a small group? Community. What are some of our community practices that have been most helpful for for you staying in your true story. Like I've watched as we practice things as a community, and I see people go, fuh, 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 fuh. they go out of orbit, right? And I go, oh God. And I found that our practices, you know one of the most powerful things for our homestay, mostly daughters, we've had a few homestay sons, but mostly homestay daughters, most who have no Christian background at all. You know what's been most powerful? It's before every meal, it's, it's once a day at the supper time, I take a match and I light a candle. And I just say, this candle is just a reminder. We light this candle that Jesus is here with us. And I've just watched the Holy Spirit just through that practice, physical practice, just tangibly. And, and you know, at first, they're, they're, you know, I, 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 I do it, you know, of course, politely and just say, is that all right? Are you okay with this? Because you're a guest in our home and we don't want you to feel pressured. But this is what we do. And, and within a few weeks, they're doing it. Some of, them, some of them start lighting the candle. Some of them have started praying, praying for me. It's just so wonderful. So these practices, keep practicing, because people that go out of orbit, it, it, it's we practice. What I love about it is it, it just, people can just start walking with us again. It's not like a big deal. Oh, Peter, you blew it. Is it Peter? He just came back and was part of the community. Started fishing with them, right? Just, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know, how many times do you deny him? Three times. How many times do you love him? Three times. <laughs> Clean slate. Finally, culture. Discuss how lies and false stories from our culture ally, ally with our own personal and cosmic evil. 
to derail us? What are some hopeful signs that our culture is seeing through some of these lies? We really feel it this time of year, don't we? The stress just goes up. <sighs> you know, isn't it true? Well, what's, what's aligned with you? What, what is it in you? Where's the fear? Where's the insecurity? Where's the unbelief? Why can't we trust God in rest the same way we do when it's summertime? The summertime. <laughs> We're on Wreck Beach. I mean, Third Beach. <laughs> That's a practice that we'll do. All right, let's pray. So, Holy Spirit, just come. We know you're here already. Would you just remind us, Lord, of those practices, Lord, that maybe we've allowed to slack, or maybe there's practices, Lord, that we need to pick up again that, or take on for the first time. Would you stir our hearts, Lord? Make us communal people. Make us people who, are, who give up our independence, not for some kind of codependence where we don't know how to be alone, because it is important to know how to be alone. But, Lord... We tend to default to that in our society, in our culture. Or we just merge with the crowd where we're still alone in the, in, the, in the crowd. So Lord, just teach us to be in tune with our hearts, to not just do these practices of singing and communion and listening to the word and going to small groups and, and even our acts of mercy just these beautiful projects that are happening this year, the hampers, the, the Advent conspiracy, that we would be in tune with our hearts, Lord. Make us a blessing, God. Let's just wait. and just I'm going to give maybe a minute of silence just for us to just reflect and listen to the Holy Spirit and just see if there's anything more He has to say. One thing I really felt, and that didn't come just now, I felt from before the service, is that this whole thing of the undo button, I just feel like there's somebody here that you feel like you've screwed up your story. And I feel like the Lord just wants to minister grace to you today, that he's pushed the undo button and that he's, he's giving you a clean slate. And there's nothing that you've done or that's been done to you that can sabotage the story in your life. He'll just bring it to him. He's right there. He's right there. Do you have something here? There's a mic right over there. Yeah. You want to burn the mic? But 
I just felt like the Holy Spirit just dropped this scripture. It, I think we're all familiar. Well, a lot of us are. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and all these things mm. will be added. And it's so easy to get that backward. Seek first the things and then try to pack in God's righteousness <laughs> at the end. Yeah. I think that's what I have found when I'm getting stressed out. I'm going after the things mm -hmm. that I think I need or that I do need, whether it's rest or exercise or instead of just seeking first the king, what does that mean? Sometimes it just means turning to someone and saying, will you pray with me? That's just so simple because it's so easy to be trying to get something that you know you legitimately need, whether it's a job or whether it's money or whether it's health but not to feel you have anybody that really is believing with you, that cares enough about you. And this is why we come together, yeah. or why we phone each other or text each other, or because we know God is powerful. Yeah. But we sometimes need someone else to have their, their faith. So specifically, I just feel like we need to pray for health, uh, some of us are getting older. <laughs> and yet we don't, you know, I just always think about Sarah. Like she was over like almost 100. She was still kicking, you know, major. <laughs> so I feel health. I want to pray for David today for your health. And uh, I believe finances are an issue that we want to seek the Lord. And relational equity, friendship, husbands and wives that God has for us, family. So let's just really... Yeah, I, I, think, I think related to that, I'm sensing this, this what, what I talked about, Advent, the, the, the longing, the waiting, the hoping. I heard the words, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And some of you, what Kathleen said about getting older, it has to do with just disillusionment and, and, and heart sickness uh, setting in. And, and, and we come along a side of each other and, and remind each other that God is faithful and to not forget what he's done and that he will, he will intervene and he is intervening. I had a, a colleague, vineyard colleague from the States who wrote me a letter and he was a bit in a hurry and he, re, he sent it too soon. He, he sent the, the email prematurely and he was embarrassed because there were some typos. But the most funny typo was instead of dear Gordy, it said dead Gordy. <laughs> and so I, he was, he just, poor guy, he felt so bad and, and he apologized. And I said, hey, it's prophetic. Unless the Lord comes, it's, it's, it's going to happen, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so let's all, let's all come to grips with our mortality and recognize that that's real. But at the same time, we have the life-giving spirit of God in us. And he wants to renew hope that what he's promised, he's able to perform. Why don't we all stand? And I'm going to bless you uh, with a benediction, but we're going to open up the front. Mark's going to turn on some, some nice ministry time music. And we're going to open up the front. If you want to come for prayer or if you want to just turn to a friend and receive prayer, you're welcome to do that. Or if you're not sure who to ask for prayer, just uh, ask our welcome table people. They're good at pointing you to the right direction or just come on up here and sit down and somebody would be happy to 
to pray for you. I believe this is a safe place uh, for you to receive prayer. So let me give you the benediction that the Lord told Moses to give to the people of Israel. So the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you. The Lord give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Happy continued Advent.